let's talk about shoes today. Um, let's back up a little bit, kind of like Donna was saying, we need to, to remember where we are in the text and what's going on. And Paul has been telling us uh, to put on the whole, whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the enemy. And we have talked about how there is no, should be no doubt in our mind that we fight an enemy. We have an enemy that hates us, that wants us to not succeed. He doesn't care what means he uses. If he can make you miserable, if he can make you ineffective as a believer, he doesn't care how he does that. If he can do that with booze, he'll do that with booze. If he can do that with drugs, he'll do that with drugs. If he can do that with money and stuff, he'll do that with money and stuff. He doesn't care how he does it. What he cares for is that as a human being, he hates us because we're made in the image of God and he wants to see our lives destroyed. He wants to see us as believers ineffective and unable to have an impact in the world around us. And Paul tells us to stand. And having done all to stand, and then when you get done doing that, stand some more. Now, the way we think of modern warfare, standing is kind of a weird thing to talk about. Because we think of movement. At least I do when I... When I think of, of, of fighting, I think if, if you're in one place for too long, that you're going to be a target. But the Romans didn't fight that way. The Romans fought in what they referred to as a phalanx, which means that the soldiers would line up in squads across a century so that the person over that was a centurion, and they had this shield that they would hold in front of them, and those shields would interlock so that nothing could get in the people in the middle, their shield they'd hold over their head so any darts or arrows or rocks or anything that was thrown to them would be protected from hitting them in the head. And they would walk along and they would come to an area and they, they would let the enemy run and attack them and they would be standing there with their sword and they would fight through their shields. And so standing and being firm was how that phalanx was able to overcome any enemy across the world. They were able to walk through Gaul like it was no thing. They were able to go anywhere they wanted to if they had the resolve. In fact, uh, a person writing in the first century said that their battle practices are like bloodless battles. And their battles are like bloody games. So you could see the way that they would work together, and I hope that that helps you understand why the idea of standing is of utmost importance. Now, if you think about it, you have probably heard a hundred sermons on the helmet of salvation, or probably heard a thousand sermons on the sword of the Spirit. Probably you've heard sermons on the, the breastplate of righteousness. I hope most of you have at least heard one sermon on the breastplate of righteousness, because I preached it last week. I don't think in my life I've heard many sermons on the shoes. Shoes are not something that we think about as uh, being super important, right? They're, that's not cool. That's not hip. Who wants to talk about shoes when it comes to armor? But if you're wearing the wrong shoes at the wrong time or the right shoes at the wrong time for the wrong event, everything falls apart. The Marines and soldiers that fought in Korea learned that jungle boots were not an appropriate shoe in the Chozon Reservoir when it got down to uh, 20 degrees below zero, that those jungle boots did not work at all, that they would freeze and that they would cause your feet to rot off. If I were to, to wear cleats 
and try to stand right here on this stage, I would guarantee that I'd fall off because those cleats have nothing to bite into and I'd slip and fall. The shoes that you wear have to be appropriate for the circumstance and they have to be the right ones and they have to be quality shoes. And so the Roman soldiers, what they would do is they would wear these leather shoes. You've all seen them in movies that had thick leather bottoms and they would, they would layer the leather and before they went into battle, they would literally hammer nails and put bits of metal in the bottom of those shoes so that they were like cleats, so that you could stand. And no matter what came up against you, you could stand. And that nothing was going to knock you over. No matter what the terrain was, you weren't going to lose your footing. You could be somebody that as wave after wave of Gaulish warrior came jumping up with their sword, you could stand. And so Paul understands here and sees here how important those Roman shoes were. They are super important. But the wording that he uses for this is really awkward. He didn't just say shoes of the gospel. He doesn't say the shoes of, of the gospel that we've heard, the gospel of Jesus Christ. What he says is, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now I will say this is one of those texts that uh, is hard to preach from because if you go look at a commentary, about every other one says something totally different. Some commentaries like to take this text and then go to a text in Romans that deals with, with how beautiful are the feet of those that bring the gospel and talk a lot here about evangelism and how this is important because it's the gospel and it's talking about sharing our faith. But if we just look at the text, that's not what he says. What he says is, is having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. He's telling us that the important thing about the shoes are, is shoes aren't something you put on in the battle. Shoes aren't something that, that you have to worry about at the moment of truth. Shoes are something you've got to have ready beforehand. And, and we talked, as we talked about the belt, how important preparing yourself, preparing your mind is. Matt told us about how, you know, they'd pull that, that sash through and put the belt on, and that meant they were getting ready for war. But the shoes are different in that even at the time that you're putting on the belt, if you've got the wrong shoes, there's not a whole lot you can do. If you show up to the football game with only one cleat, you're not going to play. I know, I've seen that actually happen. And so... It's important that you have that ready. You know, the Bible talks a lot about preparation. In 1 Corinthians 16, 13, I read from the King James because I just love the way that it says it. It says, watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit ye like men, be strong. We're supposed to be watching and preparing. But this says to the preparation from the gospel of peace. So I want to... Look in Romans 5 at what Paul says here. He says, Therefore, since you have been justified by, with, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him also we have obtained access by faith into this grace by which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces in, endurance. So here, in talking about standing, Paul in Romans is saying the most important thing to be able to stand 
is that we recognize that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that ties in beautifully with what he's saying here in Ephesians. That our understanding that we have peace, and Paul refers to the gospel here as the gospel of peace with God, is important for us to be able to stand. Now let's, let's break this down. We know, because we've talked a lot about the fact, that God doesn't owe us salvation. That what we deserve from God is God's wrath. In fact, we'll go so far as to say, when we talk about being saved, we'll say that we're saved from God. We're saved from the wrath of God that we justly deserve. And so we recognize that now, instead of being at war with God, being at enmity with God, as Paul says, that now God, through his Son, has justified us, and now we are at peace with God. But I know a lot of believers that struggle with this, that what they do is, is God says, it is finished, you're forgiven, and then they go through life and they try to take up their own wrath. They try to punish themselves. Their internal talk is, I'm not good enough, that God is, is, is not He's forgiven me, but I still, I can't, I can't serve in the church. I can't serve my neighbor. I can't do things for God because of the things that I've done in my past. And what the idea of preparing your feet for the gospel of peace with the gospel of peace is saying is, is that what you tell yourself when you start taking up your own wrath, you're lying to yourself. You're allowing the enemy to get into your head and for, make you forget the fact that the God who is your judge has said you are forgiven. That the, you have been bought with a price and our sin debt has been paid. And that now your relationship with God is not one of God in heaven watching you to make sure if you have any fun or do anything he's going to get you but that your relationship with God is now as a child and his father. That your relationship with God is that Jesus told his disciples, I no longer call you servants. Get the, width, the, the, the weight of this. Jesus told his disciples, I now call you friends. Do you hear how powerful that is? That now Jesus isn't in our lives our, just our Savior. He is our Savior. And without Him, we have no hope. He is our justifier. But He is also our defender, our friend, our big brother who's there. When that enemy comes up against us and starts whispering in your lie, we cry out to Him and He can break the jaw of that enemy. So you have to be careful with what you walk around saying in your head to yourself. You have to control whether or not if you get up today and you say, I'm a loser, I'm not going to be able to accomplish anything, you know what? You're right. If that's what's going on in your head, you are absolutely right. And Paul is saying to prepare yourself because God has set you free. We have an example in the Bible of how powerful that can be. We all know this guy Peter, right? I, I can always relate to Peter. Peter walks around with a terminal case of athlete's tongue. He could stick his foot in his mouth faster than anybody. I mean, no sooner had he said, Jesus, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. 
And Jesus turned to him and said, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my father revealed that to you. On that rock, I will build my church, man. Good job, Peter. 30 seconds later, when Jesus started talking about the fact that he had to be crucified, Peter had the guts to put his arm around the creator of the universe and said, hey, Jesus, you know what? Let's talk about that. I don't, I don't know about that. Really, Peter? You're going to correct Jesus? That's Peter. And I, I love Peter. And so we see Peter um, in the garden. I want to read the text. And I'm reading it from Mark because Mark, most theologians agree that Mark is actually Peter telling his story to Mark. So this is from Peter's perspective. As Peter was in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warm himself, she looked at him and said, hey, you were also with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I, I need to know or understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to bystanders, hey, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Surely you're one of them because you're a Galilean. And he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I don't know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. So here's Peter. And he's standing in this courtyard, and he's scared to death by a little girl. A little girl who says, hey, this guy's with Jesus. <coughs> he's so scared that he ends up cussing, and he ends up cursing himself and saying, blankety, blankety, blank, I am not. Foul, filth, vulgarity, no. That's how scared he is. Same guy, same man. 12 hours before. Let's read what happens. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. This is literally a mob with pitchforks and torches. And so Peter is in the garden praying with Jesus. He'd already dozed off a couple of times. And this mob comes up with torches and clubs and this big, intimidating group of people. And Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said, who, who do you seek? Who are you looking for? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to him, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Here this mob comes, and Jesus walks up and says, who are y'all looking for? He ain't you. Who are you looking for? And they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Now, Judas is with them, so Judas already knew who Jesus was. And Jesus said, that's me. I am he. And when he said that, they all fell back and fell over. His words caused them to all tumble over backwards. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it. And struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to him, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So here Peter, now this is 12 hours before he's such a fraidy cat that this little girl scares him. This big mob of soldiers comes up and he jumps up 
whips out a sword and goes to the first guy he can see and lops his ear off. And he wasn't aiming for his ear. Now that's got guts. Here's this guy, one of three or four standing around, maybe all 12 disciples stand, or 11 standing around, and he's got the guts to run into a mob of armed people and start swinging to the point that Jesus had to settle him down. What's the difference? One's a fraidy cat. One is a man. The difference is, is who's by his side. In the one story, Peter's by himself. He's alone. He doesn't know what to do. He don't, doesn't know what's going to happen to Jesus. But in the other story, he's got Jesus there with him, and he knows that no matter what happens, this is the guy that can take a couple of fish and a couple of loaves and feed 5,000. This is the guy that can walk on water. This is the guy that can look at a storm and say, peace, be still. And the storm was still. Now, Peter's got guts because he knows who's with him. So if we look at the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace, it's telling us to recognize who's on your side. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is on our side, nothing can come against us. And Paul is saying, if you're going to stand, you've got to get in your mind to understand that you are a child of the Most High God. And that you serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God who split the Red Sea so that they could walk across in dry land is your God. And you have, there has been peace made with him. And he is on your side. And so we, in these days when everything seems to be so up in the air, we don't know when we're going to go do church again or how we're going to do it. We don't know when we're going to go back to work. We don't know how we're going to pay the bills. It would be easy for us to sit at home in fear. Is the coronavirus going to kill us all? Is it just the flu? I don't know. Ah! You can't pick up the news and get truth. There is no truth. You can't watch the TV and get truth. And it would be really easy for us to huddle down and be afraid. And what this text is telling us, what you need to let go through your mind is, is I don't care what happens with the virus. I don't care what happens with the economy. I don't care what happens with my car that won't crank. I don't care what happens with my health. What I know is, is the God who made everything that is, is on my side. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I, my life has been reconciled with him. And with him on my side, there is nothing that I can't accomplish for his glory. And so the only way that we can put on those shoes and stand is recognizing who we are in Christ before him. Father God, I pray that we leave this place today knowing who we are in Christ, knowing that we have been reconciled with the Father. And God, I pray that you give us the strength to quit like men, to watch and to stand fast in the faith. God, I pray that you help us to be the men and women of God that you've called us to be. 
God, I pray that you help us to be victorious in our lives, whether that's over our personal sin, whether that's over our doubts and fears, God. I pray that you help us to stand, and having done all, to stand. Lord, we love you, and we thank you, thank you, thank you for your word so timely today. Lord, I pray that as we go from this place, we would just ooze the love of Jesus everywhere that we go, everyone that we see. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be wise, but not living out of fear. God, I pray that you would help us to love our neighbor by protecting them and helping them and serving them. God, I pray for wisdom. You promised us that if we lacked wisdom to pray and you would give it liberally, God, we need it bad. Lord, I pray for our leaders. I pray for our governor. I pray for our president. I pray for everyone uh, across this country that are making decisions. God, that you would give them wisdom. God, I pray that you would, would help our country to recover from this. And God, I pray that you would just move in a mighty way. Lord, we pray that you would use this situation to bring great revival, to bring a great calling out on you. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen.